All right, let's take our Bibles, and we're going to go to John 3.16. Today's Valentine's Day. How many of you guys knew that? Good, good. Husbands, today is Valentine's Day. How many of you guys just found that out? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Boy, that'd be problems. <laughs> now, today is Valentine's Day. Uh, I thought it, or actually my wife thought it would be a good idea to have some sweet treats after church. So down the hall, we've got some Publix cupcakes down there. And I'm just curious because I don't want to be wasteful. Uh, how many of you, if there was decaf coffee, you would you would appreciate that and partake? Would you raise your hand and let me know? Oh, there's at least one, so we should make a full pot. We should make sure that we have we have plenty. We wouldn't want that one person to go without, uh, and myself too, you know. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> the title of our study tonight is "Oh, How He Loves You and Me." I remember in high school how serious Valentine's Day was all the committed guys would make sure that they would have their balloons and they would have their giant teddy bears and they would have all their gifts to shower their girlfriends with. I went into Publix two days ago and it was the one on Anderson and I could not see the ceiling. There were so many balloons. I, I actually exclaimed out loud. I said, whoa, is it Valentine's Day? Uh, it, it just struck me. I was going in for some egg noodles, and I was just bombarded by that. And of course, there's so many standards that are set in the world for what is real love. You see this idea, even very young, as very young kids, we, the movies that we grew up on and stuff, you know, finding true love, which is opposed to something that is fake or hollow or empty. But the three points that I, I want to look at tonight is the love that's demonstrated to the world and received through faith, the love that is implemented by obedience of man and examples of love in Scripture. It'll be a quick study. I really want to make sure you write these verses down because they're very beneficial to our understanding of how God has demonstrated love. We think love right now, maybe, well, not, not many of you here tonight, but the world would say love is, you know, it's a feeling. And sadly, young people today are getting married to people because that person makes them feel good, whether it's something physical in nature or maybe some things that are in common. The foundation is you and I click. You know, we have the same things in common. But that's not the kind of love that makes a marriage last forever. It can, but oftentimes people fall out of love with each other because there's something that that person used to do and they no longer do or something has changed or they've become old and tired and so they kind of move on. <clears throat> and that's really sad because that's not how the love that God has demonstrated for us works. The love that God has demonstrated is in action. It is unconditional commitment. I got engaged when I was 19 years old and my dad was pretty shocked you know, I had just gotten out of high school. I think maybe I was a year out of high school. I was working pretty seriously at Macy's Furniture and Bedding Customer Service. And I was just getting excited about customer service work and wanting to start a career and all that. But I realized what a wonderful opportunity I had in front of me to be with a godly woman for the rest of my life. And so I prayed about it and I bought the ring and, and I was excited and I proposed to Kyla and I told my dad, you know, I'm getting married. And he was so shocked by it. He's like, you're 19 years old. 
There's so much to experience. And while that may have been true, I don't know if all that experience would have been good. I am so glad that that opportunity was, was presented to me at an early age. I tell, you know, I've, I've done several marriage counseling sessions now. And I usually say, you know, getting married young is not for everybody, but if you find the right person, that's a great thing. To go through those formative years, your 20s, where, where the world is telling you to kind of abuse your body in that time, and then you settle in your 30s, that is really, really foolish guidance. But people eat it up. I remember a guidance counselor telling me when I was in 10th grade how important the party life in college was. You really learned how to make your mistakes, he said. And I remember going like, ew, creepy that you just said that. But I have no idea what he may have said to somebody else. But I remember thinking about college as being a place where you go, you're doing school, but you also are experiencing life. That's a really negative sales pitch for a child of God. I wouldn't suggest that at all. But I remember my uncle giving me some advice. Now, my uncle's not married, but my uncle is, is a man of the Bible. He, he's, most of the things that I learned as a foundation before I started coming here to Calvary were because of my uncle's teaching in my life. And I remember he said, love is not a feeling, Jesse. You have to ask yourself, are you willing to be unconditionally committed to Kyla for the rest of your life? Regardless of what happens to her, are you willing to put your life down to preserve hers? 19 years old. I remember getting really anxious throughout the engagement period, thinking, you know, not questioning, but realizing what level of commitment this is. Then I went to marriage counseling with Dr. Arnold, and we had six sessions. And it was a lot of great stuff, you know, basic stuff. But everything was built off that same foundational truth of unconditional commitment. And when you see in John 3.16 this word loved, it's the Greek word agape. And there's three different types for this word love. One is a brotherly love. One is a physical love. This love here is a godly love, and it's commitment to the better of the other person. We see this here in, three, in uh, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That first part, for God so loved the world, is not how you may have heard it explained in Sunday school. Like, God loves you so, 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 so much. Like, it's, it's an abundance of love. Although that is true, God has demonstrated an abundance of love. The way that this is written in the original language means God loved the world in this way. And that's why the translators put a comma after world and connecting that phrase that he gave. This is how we know God lo God's love has been demonstrated because Jesus Christ has been offered. Look in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. And this love is demonstrated to the entire world. It doesn't really matter what other theologies may say about this love being demonstrated to only those who would believe because the word world can, <laughs> it cannot mean all of a selected group. It just can't. You would, you, you, you would have a major problem with the grammar of Greek to make that assumption. God has loved even those who will spend an eternity in hell. Think on that for a moment. 
He gave his son to pay for their sin. I don't think that's a failure on God. I think that's a failure on man. What a wasted opportunity it would be to reject the free gift of eternal life. To call God a liar and his son a false prophet. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth, it's an, kind of an archaic word, it means demonstrated, his, there's that word again, love, toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, some people will kind of draw out the word us, and they'll say, see, he's only talking about those who have believed. But contextually here, Paul's talking about everybody, and he even further clarifies by saying God's love was shown before our conversion. Before we came to faith in Christ, God demonstrated his love for us. Look at 1 John 3, 18. <clears throat> 1 John 3, 18, page 1324 in a Schofield Bible or a church-owned Bible. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This love that has been shown is the kind of love that is not merely said, it is actually done. Now back up to 16. Hereby we perceive, excuse me, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a perfect transition from point number one to point number two. The love that's demonstrated to the world is Christ crucified. Now you would think that's a grotesque, violent, Horrible scene that happened. It's God's love. And not in some dark or twisted nihilistic way. This is what was required for us to be redeemed to him. That is love. In our songs today, we kind of get this picture of God as this maniacal lover that is just relentlessly pursuing us. And while that may work to a degree, the illustration falls short when you actually see what Scripture says love is. Love is not God pursuing you like a maniacal lover who's trying to win over your affection. Love is Christ on the cross. Love is an actual payment for your sin. To kind of characterize God in a man's view of love is to say that the chase that God has after you is exciting and it should excite you and it should just be this oh i'm wanted which it, it it's so subtle but it diminishes the cross it says yeah the cross yeah but the chase the excitement you he wanted you no he gave his son that's what the focus should be that i a wretch like me could be redeemed you see how subtly that stuff can be twisted? And I have to admit, some of those songs, they're, they're beautifully composed. They, the, the, the vocals are fantastic. But the truth of those songs fly in the face of the Bible. And we know this word will not pass away. We know that this lasts forever. So I just say, I'm not going to get into your 
music library and go, oh, oh that's not my, not my goal. But I would just ask you to compare those things with Scripture. Just compare them with Scripture. And if Scripture finds an error in those songs for your own safety, for your own spiritual growth, remove them and replace them with Scripture. I think it's real healthy. I'll even let you take a hymnal home. We've got stacks of them in here. To go through the hymnal and, and memorize some of your favorite songs. There's one on page 61 called, And Can It Be? It's so good. I'm not going to sing it for you because it would sound like an, a wounded cat <laughs> crying in the night. <laughs> but it's a beautiful song. It talks about that God's love has reached me. Can it be? That, he, that we're now a child of the one true God? And then there's a love that's supposed to be implemented by man in obedience. We're in 1 John still. Look at chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Oh, I love this so much. This is just, I love this passage. I love this book. 1 John's a fantastic book. The word loved is used over 23 times in this book. I think the next closest one is in Matthew. It's 19 times. 1 John is all about love in action. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The we might live are those who believe. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. And if you compare this with verses like Matthew 7, 21 through 23, when those who are condemned cry out, Lord, Lord, have we not? Their works are what they list, and those they may have done in an act of love to the Lord. I love you. I did this. I did that. I abstained from this. That is not love. Love is not what we do for the Lord. That's not how we earn it. That's not a demonstration of it. But that he loved us. And we know that us was also before we were converted as sinners from Romans 5.8. That he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, he, he makes a call to his audience. If God so loved us, may I ask you this hypothetical question. What is the realistic answer? Yes, God has loved us. We just saw it. So the expectation is for you to obey this next part. <coughs> we ought also to love one another. My married people out there, you know how it is. And I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm just, let's talk for a minute. You know what it's like to withhold your kindness, to argue and to bicker. And sometimes if we're not careful, we never resolve those issues and we grow callous. And then the next thing you know, in five or six years, you don't even know the person that you're living with anymore. That can be a dangerous thing. Now, those of you who are not married, but you're a part of the body of Christ, which is all of you here tonight. We can grow callous towards one another. Sister so-and-so did or did not do this, and I've taken offense to that, and therefore, I've boxed them off. Brother this or brother that said whatever it may be, and I've, I've boxed them off from my fellowship now. It ought not be that way. Has God loved us unconditionally? Yes. 
then we ought to love one another unconditionally. But Jesse, you don't know. Well, God does know. Those are always fun parts in the counseling sessions where you've got somebody who has built an entire identity around their hatred for somebody else. And then you look at it and you go, zoom out for a second and realize, <coughs> are you doing what's biblically correct? One of my early, and, and I'm, I'm referring to one of these counseling sessions I did online with an individual over email, and I pointed out something that he had continually stuck on. And I said, I want you to take that situation and apply Colossians, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, forgiving one another, tender, kind-hearted, all that. And he said, I could never do that for this person. Now that's the problem. We have cut through and cut through and cut through, and there's the source of the infection. That needs to be treated or it's going to kill the body. And guess what? You'd be, you'd be surprised how many people say, don't touch, you can't touch that. We can't go there. Well, that's your problem. So if we, if we seal that up, all this other stuff is we're, we're playing games. We're building a house on sand. We're, we're building nothing. It's going to fall apart because you've got this major area in your life where you're not yielding in love. And that's a hard thing to forgive somebody. And it's, it's even more difficult to forgive somebody if you're doing it without God's love for you in view. Think about the offense that your sin put on Jesus. How can we look at anybody and say, I can't forgive you. I can't love you. Mm. Look in verses 16 through 19. And we know, uh, and we have known and believed the love that God hath sent to us. That's the gospel message. God is love, and he that dwelleth in, in, in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. You have fellowship together. Herein is our love made perfect or complete, mature, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. You are more Christ-like as you walk in this life in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. Mm, isn't that true? Fear can torment us. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The man who walks in love is perfected by it and gains boldness and fearlessness. And that's a natural rebuke to the sinning brother. But that doesn't mean what he's doing is wrong. I want to look at three examples, very brief, of love in the scripture. Write these words down. Sacrifice, humility, and meekness. Sacrifice, Humility and meekness. You remember those superlatives in the yearbook? Most likely to own two cars, most likely to whatever, whatever. I think it's kind of a good way to gauge your life that if someone were to give you a superlative, they'd say most likely to demonstrate sacrifice, humility, and meekness. Those should be qualities that are evident in the way you carry yourself. Look in John 15 with me for sacrifice. John 15. <coughs> John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. 
as I have loved you. Now, you know what happened in John 13? Does anybody know? Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. A great offense to Peter. But once Peter understood, he said, Lord, not just my feet, but my whole body. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if. Now this is conditional. Salvational is conditional upon belief. Friendship with Jesus? That's conditional upon obedience. Look what this says. If you do whatsoever I command you. You don't have to love God to go to heaven. You don't have to love Jesus to go to heaven either. There's nothing in the Bible that leads us to that conclusion. You have to believe on Jesus Christ. And the natural byproduct, listen to me, of growth is love. You want to grow, you love the Lord, and you do that by obeying him. Bada bing, bada boom. That's why so many people have a problem with believers that go on into just sinful behavior and use this life that they have uh, for sin. Because that's so counterintuitive to what the scripture says a believer should grow up into. But they can do it. <coughs> and God will deal with them. Not you and me. God will deal with them. Look in Philippians 2 as we study humility. Sacrifice, humility, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. I say, Pastor, where's humility? Here it is. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If you're coming into your volunteer position in, I don't know, ranch or Awana or Sunday school or whatever, and you say, I'm going to show them my way. We're going to do things my way. And you're constantly butting heads with me or whoever is in charge of that ministry. There's always something that you take offense to. And it just seems to be you. You need to ask yourself why. <laughs> now, I don't, we don't have anybody like that here yet. That will happen. Trust me, as this ministry grows, that's a part of people's growth. But if you're putting yourself at the top, you got to switch that. Loneliness of mind, that's humility. Verses 5 through 11 show you how Jesus was humble. Hmm. If he can do it, we can too. And then finally, meekness. One of my favorite words in the Bible. Colossians 3. Just over there to the right. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, that is a title for those who have trusted Christ. 
Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. You got to put that on. Kindness, you got to put that on. Humbleness of mind, bingo, we talked about that. Yeah, wear that too. Meekness, long-suffering. Now, verse 13, many would say, well, this is a separate quality, but I think this, is, I think this stems from meekness and long-suffering. Do you know what forbearing one another means? It means putting up with people. You usually don't have to put up with people that you like, right? I put up with Kyla, you know? We just figure it out. I love my wife. But there may be people in your life, in my life, we just clash with, we don't connect. You are not to isolate that person from your love. Christ did not do that for them. He died for their sins. And so you ought to forbear. You see how much we have to work on? How much we have to lean into the, our, our Lord's example? Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I guarantee you Paul was not writing this in this tone. Forbearing one another. Forgiving one another. John Mark. Demas. I forgive you. I bet you that's not how he was writing it. I guarantee you that Paul shed tears for maybe even Hymenius, Philetus, who caused others to shipwreck their faith. I bet you he wept and did all that he could to try and restore. I think of that sinning brother in 1 Corinthians 5, who Paul said if he would not change his ways, pray for his body to be delivered up to the devil that his soul can be preserved. But he still loved that brother, as we see in 2 Corinthians, that man restored into proper fellowship in the church. I don't think Paul had his teeth grit tight with sarcasm when he wrote Galatians 6.1, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. I don't think that Paul had that kind of behavior. I certainly know that Jesus didn't. That's real love. And that comes from our new nature. You can deceive yourself in thinking you do that naturally. But inwardly, we're all prideful people. Look at me, I'm somebody I love so much. That's not how Jesus loved. Lots to kind of chew on. And you can do that. You can chew mentally as you chew physically. What a nice cupcake down the hall. And maybe even take a sip of decaf coffee. Now, I've never had decaf coffee before, but I'm about to. Amen? Anybody excited about that? You're not excited. I know Jan's excited. That's my guy, man. But he drinks his coffee with no creamer. Anybody else drink their coffee black? Raise your hand. Oh. I am outnumbered. (laughs) I am outnumbered. I'm the one who's like, you drink it with creamer? Come on, man. (laughs) Let's talk about the most exciting news in all the world that our sin has been paid. Amen? This hand representing you and me, (laughs) this block of sin representing sin, I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. This sin, it separates us from God. We have to be absolutely sinless in order to get to heaven. To have fellowship with him, we can't bring any of this. And this is who we are. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire burning hell. God loves us. He does not want us to be separated from him. But there's no amount of good works or reforming of our nature, starting something, stopping something, that could earn a payment for this sin. 
This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. What Jesus did is something that we could never do. He removed this that was in the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the record. Eternal life is found in the Son. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, you receive as a free gift eternal life. That's real Valentine's Day. That's real love. And I pray that you've received Christ as your Savior. You do that by simple faith in Jesus Christ. That what he did on the cross, he did it as a son of God who paid for your sins. And you are eternally justified in the court of God. Amen? You're part of the family. You get adoption papers. Boom, finalized right away. I'm still waiting for our finalization, but that's not how my salvation worked. Isn't that nice? I'm immediately a part of that family. And I get all the benefits too. God's my Father. The Holy Spirit indwells me as a seal. And I have a mediator in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed nice or closed. If you're watching on the internet tonight and you put your trust in Jesus for the first time, I'd like to pray for you. Just let us know by dropping a comment wherever you're watching. There's a button on our website. You can click that says, yes, I just trusted in Jesus Christ. We'd like to pray for you. Let us know. If you're here in the audience and you put your trust in Jesus tonight, you now know that you have eternal life. Would you raise your hand and we'll pray for you? Anyone at all before we close? Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know and I'd like to pray for you. For all the children of God that may be young children or mature believers, learn to love like the Savior. Look to have qualities like sacrifice, humility, meekness, and lean on him if you're struggling. We all have bad days, and that can turn into a long, bad stretch, but you can get right with the Lord tonight. Bring it to him, confess it, and all will be restored. And pray for the Lord to come back. Keep your eyes on the skies. Father, thank you for this time together. Bless this food somehow that we're going to partake in fellowship. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.